Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while having a couple of beers. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, why was it that we didn't upload late last week? Yes, so apologies to everybody for not getting an episode out last Friday, but I was uh, away. Uh, I was actually, to be fair, at the time we usually record, making my way back uh, home. I had been in London for two days in central London uh, at a conference, at a crypto conference called Token 2049. Actually, I didn't ask anybody why it's called Token 2049. I imagine it's, you know, 2049 into the future, into the distance, you know, what's going to happen with the crypto economy and blah, 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 and 2049. But I still no, can't figure no, out why 2049. No, I'm, oh, no, no, I'm wrong. Damn, it's 2048. Oh, what? Yeah, there was a very, very successful mobile game that was released in the early 2010s called 2048, ah. where all you do is you've got a board and uh, on it, there are a load of numbers and it starts off just with twos and fours mm. and you have to flick the uh, uh, matching numbers together and then they will double. But you need to, and whenever you do that, whenever they double into say four and then eight and then 16, yeah. uh, whenever you do that, more twos and fours will start spawning. And the aim of the game is to manage to keep doubling one block until it gets to 2048. And then, uh, but without the board getting full of other n- numbers, so it says like it's like a it says like a like a, a a vicious sort of form of Minecraft. Is it Minecraft? Yeah, Mine, well, no, Minesweeper. Minesweeper. Two D, like two D. Yeah, but um, just like the minds multiply right in real time. It was very addictive. Yeah. Well, it was a good story, but twenty. But you were but you're a year off. <laughs> Yeah, no. What the hell? Why 2049? Why? Why? No. Well, that's what I was like. Why not 2048? Why not 2051? I couldn't quite. I should have asked somebody. I couldn't figure out why exactly. But um, it was cool, right? Because like, I was talking. I sat next to this guy, and we were talking. Did you, like, did you reminisce people. about the good old days when XRP was the standard? <laughs> Do you want to know what they actually had somebody on stage in one of the panel sessions from Ripple? Not XRP from Ripple, and she sure. didn't. She didn't mention the standard once. <laughs> she must not be a true believer. Ironically, she was on a on a panel talking about regulation. Um, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Oh mate. Anyway, it was good. Like, because you know, I, I, like I said to this guy, I go like. The last time I was at a physical in-person conference was January 2020. So it is, you know, 20-something months it had been since actually being at a physical conference with other people, going from rooms and the expos and talks and all the cool stuff that comes with those sorts of things. And you know what? You, lo- you just take in so much more. Like I'd been, I've done a few virtual conferences and stuff over the last year and a half or whatever. And uh, they're good, but you're, there's, you're always distracted by the shit. Um, going to them in person is so much more effective and I know so much better for businesses to do networking and build business and all that sort of thing. So uh, bullish on conferences and events. All right. You just can't beat that, uh, that conference feel, huh? You can't. And the drinks and the, like the lunch and the breakfast and the drinks, it's all part of the package. Yeah. 
So uh, give us give us some uh, some tidbits and Sam. What did you learn at this conference? Right. So, what other than the- uh, how how not to get uh, investigated by the SEC, courtesy courtesy of Ripple. <laughs> well, um, they didn't have anyone from Coinbase there, but um, they had the, they had the head of, like they had the head of UK uh, from Gemini, um, and they had um, you know some you big look hitters. like one of the Winklevoss twins. He actually, he actually does look like one of. I couldn't quite put, I couldn't quite put my finger on his accent. He sounded Australian, um, but he had clearly not lived in Australia for a while. I think, um, obviously, heading up UK arm um, of Gemini. Um, but he, he was, he was kind of like big belly dude with a big beard. He actually was, he was actually very good. Um, you know, he, he was so, you know, you like a, a, an exchange like Gemini. It's kind of like Coinbase, right? Big, you know, centralized financial exchange for crypto and they the, the way he talks is they they just sort of see themselves like you know almost part of traditional finance really but a sort of unlocking the door into into the, the sort of crypto world and you know when he was talking about people are like oh crypto's not regulated blah 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 and he's like actually we're probably one of we're probably far more regulated than people r- realize you know they they have e-money licenses that are issued by you know the fca and uh uh, regulators in Europe and they have to abide by all the anti-money laundering rules. And they've got, you know, four or five different licenses just to do four or five different things within the company. And it's like when you, and then plus all the stuff you got to go through, even just to register a business uh, in, in the UK and all that. It's like, actually, there's probably a lot more oversight. And, and I, even I'm probably guilty of this of saying, you know, crypto market's not regulated and it's risky and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, parts of it are, but parts of it are in, actually incredibly uh, regulated and there's a lot of oversight around some of these businesses um, which compared to what it was yeah look five or six years ago there was none of it um, but now it's it's a very different world so that was that was interesting that was a that was a good point actually that I think is was worth taking on board um, another lo- loads of talk on DeFi and play to earn gaming um, virtual worlds and, and earning through just playing Playing games. <laughs> it's as crazy as that sounds. No, I mean, like people have been farming wild gold for years, so I don't think it's too too out of the ordinary. Well, for, for people like us, it's not. But I think for the general public, the idea that you can play a game and, and earn real income is kind of a bit wild still. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. Because, um, yeah, they had, you know, there was the founder of Axie Infinity and um, one of the guys from Chain Guardians and uh, the Sandbox, one of the founders of the Sandbox was there as well. And they put on a really, really fucking good panel actually around um, gaming and DeFi and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, look, loads, loads of cool stuff. I think someone, you know, so they, they had Mike Novogratz who's, um, who's the founder of Galaxy Digital, heavily involved in crypto investing and, and crypto markets and everything from like, you know, DeFi to just, you know, crypto hedge funds and, and NFTs and the whole thing. And, um, you know, I think, I, I can't remember if it was him or somebody else, but anyway, somebody had made a really good point about people were like, oh, is ETH going to flip Bitcoin? And, and someone made the good point of like, well, who cares? because they're inherently just two different things. You know, Bitcoin's 
a store of value or it can be can be a transactional sort of network with with things like lightning and stuff but it's a completely different thing that bitcoin is talking about money and and value and something like ethereum is a technology play so it's like why do people keep you know you compare bitcoin to gold and you know there's 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 more similarity between bitcoin and gold than there is between bitcoin and ethereum um yet people are always like oh the flipping and it's like actually yeah it's a good point uh one is completely separate and different from the other. And I think people need to just take a bit more of a step back and, and realize what these networks are. They're not all the same. Um, yeah, I found that interesting too. Yeah, I, uh, I probably, I don't think Bitcoin's got more in common with gold than it does with Ethereum, but I do take your point. Um, ultimately, they are definitely trying to do completely different things, though some people are, you know, it's Bitcoin, DeFi and whatever. Some people are trying to make them more similar um yeah yeah i mean I, it's funny about gemini you know i was i used gemini recently um did, i think i mentioned on this that i used to have, I own some tokens in sandbox yeah uh, which i sold recently and uh just when i was using gemini uh it's like they haven't innovated like maybe it's because they're spending all of their time just uh you know keeping the regulator happy and I can definitely believe that. It feels like that's that's sort of their primary goal. I think he said something in particular. He was like, our sort of internal mission is to um, proceed with permission rather than ask for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, which I think is is not the kind of mindset you want if you really want to disrupt, uh, if you want to disrupt, you know, TradFi and whatever. Though, of course, uh, you know, the regulators taken many scalps and I'm sure it'll take more in the future. But I was just, you know, they don't, they haven't even got Solana on there in Gemini, not in Gemini UK anyway. So I was just looking at selling my sand. So I wanted to sell my sand, sand dollars, my sand tokens for, uh, you know, I wanted to, to cash them in uh, and then put them into Solana. And I was just like trying to see what I could actually trade sand dollars for. Yeah. Except fiat money. And it was really hard. Like, mm. so effectively you need to sell it for cash first. And then buy something else, and then try withdrawing it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. It's just sort of very, very, very cumbersome. Um, but yeah, and I just, yeah, it made me not really want to, not really want to deal with Gemini. But at the same time, um, you know, the banking system uh, has its own problems. So just trying to withdraw cash from Gemini, uh, my banks uh, <laughs> like it was denied uh, because they're just not, they're not dealing with, uh, they don't want to deal with crypto companies anymore. Oh, and- so what? You couldn't even get your bank, your money out of it. Nope, nope, because they're not accepting uh, bank transfers from uh, from Gemini. See, that's see, that's weird, right? Because Gemini actually has an FCA license to operate. They're like, as you say, they're the one that's closest to the regulator. They want yeah. to repeat every government initiative, and uh, and yet even they can't, even they can't, they won't send money to them. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. But Sam, what what beer are you on today? Ah, uh, yes. So first beer I've got is uh, the Five Points Best which is the Five Points Brewing Co., a London brew. And this is, well, it must be their best because it says Five Points Best. Mm-hmm. Uh, a modern single hopped best bitter brewed with fuggle hops from Kent. Don't know what a fuggle hop is. Sounds like, um, do you remember Fraggle Rock? Are you, nope. too old? Are you too young for that? Too young, I'm afraid. <laughs> Those that know will know. Um yeah, very nice so far. Uh, 4.1%. Uh, 
ABV, so it's not crazy. It's not particularly uh, heavy. Um, but uh, yeah, very nice, very nice uh, drinking beer at the moment. It's in a bottle too, which uh, I quite like. Um, yeah, so far so good. Oh, very good, very good. You know, on the topic of age, I've got a good beer to to match yours. This one is called WTF. What <laughs> the flock session IPA? It's got a got a sheep on the front. That's great. Got a sheep. Uh, it's got a ram actually on, on a hill, a cartoon of it, uh, and it's thinking it's lonely grazing by myself. So this has been made in uh, collaboration between Beer Brothers and Age Concern. And it says on the front, did you know there are 35,000 lonely and isolated older people in Lancashire? Help support by visiting hashtag WTF Lanks. Uh, so this is a 3.6% uh, session IPA. 20p from each can sold will be heading direct to Age Concern, the charity. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, maybe some of those guys would be able to to, to get the uh, the re- the reference that you made earlier there, Sam, which I uh, which I'm <laughs> young for. Yeah, Fra- um, Fraggle, Fraggle Rock was a kids' show from uh, the 80s, and was it maybe the 90s as well? It was um Jim Henson characters puppet kind of stuff. Um, I'll uh, I'll nod and pretend I know who that is, <laughs> and then and then I'll visit www.agesjustanumber.org.uk/wtflanks. Now this is actually despite you know the uh, despite some some beers that have been done with charities, not you mm. know, all, the quality is not always there. This is actually a very very nice session IPA, so I'm I'm oh. definitely enjoying my Excellent. what the flock session IPA. I quite I quite like a I, I do love a good sort of pun chucked in with a with a label. I one one of my one of my favorite sayings uh, when I want to leave, well, like if I'm out and I want to leave, is like, let's make like a sheep and get the flock out of here. Um, <laughs> so, so I quite, I quite appreciate what the flock. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. You know, I'm thinking, Sam, that five points best. I mean, presumably that was made uh, as it was their best beer. I mean, it was probably made when XRP was the standard. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's it comes brewed with um, fuggle hops from Kent and a bit of XRP. Well, do you know it's you know, it's got it's the five points um, could very well you know reference some sort of conspiracy about the standard. Um, mm. I'm not sure how, but you know, it's the it, could be, it feels like it's a hidden signal. You know, a um, a friend of mine who uh, listened to our to our last podcast on the standard, um, he sent it to a relative of his, who actually is one of these XRP nutters, and uh, and said, "Oh, well, it's trolled. You're going to get trolled now." The uh, yeah. well, it sounds like he got trolled. <laughs> uh, he was saying, "Oh, well, they, this is just they're they're just using the popularity of uh, of, of XRP." as clickbaits, you know, just to, just to gain more, gain more traction. That's why that's it. That's just, you know, it's just so uh, very so much not our intention. <laughs> <laughs> if we want, if we wanted to, if we want to clickbait, we would probably, um, probably do something on Solana before the standard. I'm sure. The sons of Solana. Oh, actually yeah. we did do that. Didn't we? <laughs> we do that a little bit. Uh, the sacrificing human sacrifices to the sun goddess Solana. Speaking speaking of of sun and sacrifice, um, very loose very loose segue here. I was I was reading, uh, I was reading that Lebanon's been out of power for like a number of days. Literally, just no electricity in at all. It that nothing. Um, 
I, I find that incredible <laughs> that they literally have had no power. And like, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's blown me away. And then I want to, I, I want to believe that that sort of thing isn't going to, or can't happen here. But then what happened with the fuel shit the other week? And then obviously China's got their own power issues. Do you, I mean, how much do you buy into the fear that this winter is going to be pretty dire? Mm, it's a good question. Um, I think it does highlight just how fragile a lot of these things that hold society up are like is, uh, how, how, um, how unstable or unsteady they, uh, they actually are beneath their poised appearance. I think it depends on what the issue would be. I mean, what is the actual trigger that would cause it to be really, really bad? So is it just general fuel shortages? Is it, uh, you know, power stations which haven't been, uh, you know, looked after well? That was like, you know, so Lebanon, Lebanon obviously has a huge issue with corruption, with yeah. uh, maintaining their infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say it can't happen here, but obviously Lebanon has a very big problem with that. Yeah, what is it? What could do? I mean, I can, I, I can definitely see something like that happening. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think? I don't know, really. To be honest, I, I, um, I, I'm always pretty optimistic and that think that, especially in a country like the UK, that there would be sufficient infrastructure, upkeep, and 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 the way that it is built out, that you you wouldn't have issues with. Uh, access to something like electricity, for example. Um, I can see there being, well, maybe even not. So I, I could see there being issues like with the, so the problem they said with the petrol and the fuel was they couldn't get deliveries. So they could get the drivers. So that's because obviously fuel isn't directly pumped from the refineries to the petrol stations. They, they have to, you know, go into big trucks and the trucks have to, move it from place to place but something like electricity is a different ball game um because it kind of does come direct uh you know it doesn't, it doesn't they don't load it up into a tanker and it doesn't get delivered to your local power plant <laughs> do you know what i mean um barrels of electricity just being rolled out of a lorry <laughs> yeah exactly so there's just some dude with a giant cable the, the rolling around like they, like they did when they cut up my pavement for the city fiber um yeah so i think the thing there's it's probably a different story in that respect i think anything that requires the transportation of energy is probably going to come under some strain in that sense yeah but, so yeah but but i think i think something like pure electricity is probably not as much at least i wouldn't think so here in the uk yeah but you know the 1970s with all the energy issues they had then it wasn't actually that long ago you do wonder just how much of the infrastructure has been upgraded since then um, mm. not something i know enough about you know to, to comment no, i mean either it's because it, like a lot of the articles about lebanon so interestingly like I, there was i saw these there were these pictures of these people trying to throw stones at a um throw stones at a bank, a Lebanese bank, because apparently the the bank had shut and uh, people couldn't get their money out. And so I think Michael Saylor retweeted the video and, and basically was like, you know, Bitcoin's not going to shut you out from accessing it. So it was sort of used as a, 
I, th- I don't like to say this, but it does get ha- it does happen sometimes with, with the Bitcoin communities that some of these things are just a bit propaganda-ish. So I was trying to find the original source for the, you know the idea that the banks, Lebanese banks, had um, basically shut people out from their money, which I couldn't find um, aside from on Twitter. And Twitter, as we know, isn't exactly the best primary source for things. Mm. <laughs> so um, I don't know how viable that video actually is claiming that people have been locked out of their accounts in Lebanon. But then that led me to the story about them being out of energy. And literally that there was, it was a blackout um, across um, basically the entire country. Right. Um, which I found just, yeah, I just found astonishing. And then, but then it sort of compounds things like, and then I think India said that the number of their coal stations are basically going to shut down, um, which is going to have a knock on effect. Obviously, you know, China's got issues with energy. Um I mean, about the only one that doesn't seem to have any problems with it is America. <laughs> I do have a, uh, you know, there's a, a mild anecdote to sort of lighten the mood, um, which is uh, from, this is a message where a friend of mine has another friend who works at Glen Eagles. And uh, Glen Eagles only has two electric charging stations. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see if I'll just, uh, I'll just bring up the, the message chain. And it is, uh, I'll take here we are. So here's the message one. Uh, what are the big wigs staying at Glen Eagles and driving in free, driving in each day? Fleet of eight Teslas have been hired, and there's only two charging points at Glen Eagles. So a diesel generator has been brought in to charge them. Would have been less damages. Would have been less damaging to drive a Hummer in and out. <laughs> Teslas every day. And uh, that is pretty. Uh, they need that diesel generator to keep them going. It's I like there's um. Have you seen, there was a video going around and again, I don't know how reliable it was as a source, but um, it was somebody that was in a Tesla and they had run out of charge and they were recharging their car to get to a petrol station, well, to get to the next charging point. But their their backup was a diesel generator, diesel power (laughs) generator they carried in their boot for because they obviously were going on a long haul trip and that they were worried yeah. that if they weren't able to get in between charging points so they used the diesel generator to 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 top it up well, i remember uh, i remember seeing a video this would have been about three years ago but you know same thing um a lady in a in a uh, in a gas station in the states uh trying to uh, she's just she's just she's put in this tesla she's parked it in a gas station she doesn't realize that it's an electric vehicle uh, and she is trying to find the place to put <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, the nozzle, you know, where, where is the get, where's the gas cap, right? Uh, and just going out, so presumably it wasn't her car. It was, uh, it was uh, somebody, somebody she knew and, uh, you know, just looking in vain around the car for where to fill it up. It's, uh, it kind of, it, it, it spoke, it spoke quite deeply of, uh, of where we are with this whole electricity thing, I think. I was, I was, I was having a conversation with my uh, father-in-law the other day about this, and we were talking about um, EVs and obviously the range. And he was saying, you know, a guy in his village had just got a Jaguar I-Pace and, like, the claimed mileage is something like 330 miles per full charge. And he said, in reality, he goes, it's actually more like 260 miles. I'm like, where's... I wonder where the consumer sort of level is, or maybe there never is going to be one until it's so far beyond the range that a normal car could carry. So like with my car, I could probably get, if I'm doing highway miles and 
you know, not a lot of stop start traveling and all that. I can get, I can get over 500 miles uh, to a full tank. So for me, I would need an EV to be, to be topping 500 miles. It doesn't have to be by much, but it needs to be 500 miles or more for me to really justify switching over. Um, I wonder. It needs to be better. I would agree before, before you yeah. see a uptake, like, cause for, so, for someone like me, I mean, I don't have a car, but if I was, I mean, it would, I, I'd want something and I'd be the one with like three jerry cans in the back. Just yeah, exactly. Just in case. So <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm definitely more on the, um, you know, paranoid fringe type. And so if I was going to get an electric vehicle, it would need to be better than uh, a fossil fuel diesel or petrol guzzling um, Hummer or whatever. Yeah. Because like there's there is there is an EV coming out soon called the Lucid Air. Uh, it's supposed to be soon, but we all know how good EVs companies are at delivering on time. Um, and it's supposed to have a 580 mile range, so I would consider that. But I wonder if it's like for most people, that, it's not going to be 570, is it? Like like with your like with your father-in-law. I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be like 400 Probably. if you're lucky. Yeah, and which so like my my like, my point is, I think exactly that right is that realistically uh, the the range needs to be somewhere in vicinity of like 800 to a thousand miles before before we'll be talking about mass adoption because yeah. then then basically that covers everyone's bases right i'm on to my second beer now sam what are oh, actually we should raise our first one yes yes we should yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. right well uh five points best best bitter I mean, it's a big claim to say anything's the best, <laughs> really, isn't it? <laughs> Caledonia best is certainly not Caledonia best, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but this was very good. Um, it, it's um, it's the kind of beer that you could continuously drink for an entire evening uh, and be quite, quite happy with it. Um, I actually really enjoyed that. Well done, Five Points Brewing Co. I'm giving you a B plus for your best. All right. All right. B for best. B for best. Right. The What the Flock Session IPA. Very nice label. Quite charming. I get the feel good factor with uh, getting putting, you know, some, some money to charity. Uh, and, you know, witty name. Plus, tastes very nice. Very sessionable. You could definitely drink quite a few of these. It's only 3.6%. So, uh, so happy days. Quite liked. Nice taste. I'll give us a B plus as well. This is very nice. nice. And really, I, I think of all the probably, unless the next one you've got is something else, the what the flock is comfortably the best name bit that we've got today. Well, this next one does have quite a quirky name, I must say. Ooh. This is I don't really know why. Maybe I, I think I need to read the description here. Um, no, it doesn't have it. Do, it it doesn't explain. Never apologize. Never explain. A shiny brewery. This, they they really they don't want to tell you what's going on with this. Um, this is called P is for pterodactyl. Uh, of course, the, uh, the pterodactyl being the the enormous flying dinosaur with the cat with the silent P at the beginning. It's got it's got the silhouette of one flying through sort of a canyon. Uh, but no, no description. This is a New England IPA. With well, to, yeah, a mosaic and Simcoe cryo New England IPA. So I don't know where the uh, where the ice has come into that, but six point nine percent volley. Uh, I think six point nine percent ABV, unfined and vegan friendly. What does unfined mean? It's not unrefined. Unfined. 
Unfind. Un. This is the first time I've encountered this on a beer. Unfind. Oh well. Yeah, you uh, you, uh, no idea. These guys are in in Derbyshire, Little Eaton. Um, maybe it's a print. Maybe it's just a print error. Maybe, but it does. It doesn't. Well, if it is, then it's happened to the person who's done the design. Yeah, unfined and vegan friendly. Unrefined, maybe? But then what would unrefined mean? What would they have done different? I don't know. Well, don't know. let's find out what it tastes like anyway. Well, uh, so for my second, uh, I've got one from... Uh, actually, it's a good question. Where is this from? It's a Belgian Pilsner. I, I, I can't tell if it's called... Avans, or if it's from the Avans Brewery, which is in Belgium, uh, the Proof Brauve in Locristi in Belgium. I think Avans is the name of the brewery, and this is just their Belgian Pilsner, right. which is a 4.5% uh, Belgian Pilsner. That's what it says on the on the tin, which is actually is actually a pretty nice looking tin. It's kind of got this cool mosaic and like yellow and black um sort of almost uh almost like one of those um what is those ink blot things all right well a rorschach test yeah yeah that's it but but in yellow and black but then with like a white and black mosaic pattern on it as well quite cool quite funky but yeah pretty yeah, belgian pilsner see how we yeah, go we've got quite a quite a wild variety this week i think this is um very much uh, on the on the fringes. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've, I um, being a Monday, I was like, all right. I, I was working through the through the selection that I got for my last beer fifty two order, and um, and I was like, okay, it's Monday. Still, you've got all week still to feed the kids in the middle of the night. Well, feed the kids, feed the baby in the middle of the night, and try and sleep. And it's like, all right, I'll start off with the lightest ones I can. So I got four point one percent from the five points, and this four point five percent Belgian Pilsner. Uh, Belgian Pilsner are the two lightest ABVs that I had uh, in the in the fridge. But there's from here on in, it, it's just it's up only because <laughs> there's seven and eight percenters, uh, double IPAs and stuff. So come Friday when we've, uh, when we do our next one. Uh, yeah. I've got some genuine rocket fuel on the way. Yeah. I have a similar problem here. Uh, I actually have, uh, you, your favorite beer, Sam, in the fridge, Afflecam triple. Oh, uh, and, and a, uh, a, what was it? Is it a raunch, a raunch barley wine? There's 11 and a half percent. So these two that I'm having Ooh. here are lighter ones. And I've just got those two left in the fridge. Though I probably will end up going out and, uh, and buying some more beer. Because here in Chester, uh, there are uh, all, so many pubs. Uh, they are hugely busy pretty much every day of the week. I'm very impressed. And uh, they do have quite a few beer shops as well. So I'm very really? pleased. I'm very pleased. There's, there's one actually. Okay, it's your first time to Chester. Have you been there before? I've been there before, and because I liked it so much, uh, I thought I may as well stay here for a month. So uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the plan. There was uh, I yeah I didn't know the canal went through it actually, um, oh. which is which is another big bonus because I do like a nice canal pub. And the one there is there is one pub by the canal uh, where the gap between you know the the pavement well the the path that runs in front of the canal and then the pub is really very very small very short. Right. And the front doors of the pub are maybe, you know, five feet away from the edge of the canal. And it's <laughs> quite a deep canal. So there isn't a big drop. And at night, 
it looks like tarmac and the number of people that must have just staggered out there you know staggered out of that pub and just gone right in i kept like it must be dozens and dozens just over the past decade they they must i reckon they must have some sort of running tally look inside when you're there for a chalkboard with just numbers on it with no apparent with no apparent rhyme or reason and i bet you they're just keeping tally of the number of punters yeah, that go ass over tit into the uh, into the canals. Yeah, they go punting without a punt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. But I must say, I'm uh, I'm very impressed. Chester is definitely doing a good a good whack at uh, giving the pubs loads and loads of business, which is always great to see. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where do we where do we go from here? I mean, I've I'm not going to lie. I've found the stock market incredibly boring for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Well, it's not uh, it's not having a very good time. So, yeah, maybe not. Uh, yeah, maybe not the best for for your average stock market investor, or at least there's a lot of fear. Uh, I think that's being reflected more, even though the VIX has actually started sort of tailing off now. Uh, so it's less. I think there's probably less fear. It is interesting. Uh, I would say to see Bitcoin rallying on the back of the Nasdaq starting to sort of flounder around. So mm. one thing we've uh, we've discussed on this a couple times before is. You know, Bitcoin's philosophy is massively rooted in being uh, outside the financial system and being this sort of independent sovereign asset. And yet, when I look at it, I've just seen it trade like a tech stock on steroids. So when the Nasdaq's doing great, Bitcoin generally does great. Or Bitcoin do, doing great is generally uh, an indicator that the Nasdaq's doing great. But you know, in you know in past rallies, it's when the Nasdaq has reached a, a new all-time high that Bitcoin really starts going for it because at the time there is the at that during that time, there is this impression that tech is the only game in town. And so if you want you want to get some leverage to that, you buy Bitcoin. Uh, but it's interesting now to see NASDAQ not having a very good time and Bitcoin starting to really, really uh, push for it. So uh, I wonder whether or not, because this is something I've, uh, I've kind of hoped would happen, uh, but we are very early days yet. I wonder whether or not uh, Bitcoin's nature in the manner in which it will trade in the market will start to take on uh, what it was meant to be, which is uh, a store of value yeah. and, a, and a safe haven rather than simply a deflationary being a asset. Storage. And maybe that's what's starting to happen now. Maybe. I mean, uh, time of time of us recording this, Bitcoin's managed to make it to 57K, which yeah. is uh, pretty impressive given the, the broader market environment. Worryingly, we have seen all of the dog coins start uh, really going for it again, or at least Sheep <sighs> and, uh, and Samo, uh, the, the Solana one. Um, um, yeah. On the dog coins, there's a whole bunch of them called Floki or Flocky. I don't yeah, know. It's, if... it's Elon Musk's dog's name. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. That... Full disclosure for anyone listening to this, I do actually own a load of Samo because, um, and ju- just as a pure speculation, this is not financial advice. Uh, this is de- this is just me uh, thinking, you know, you know, dog coins, sometimes they do stupid percentage gains. So maybe yeah. maybe I should own a little, uh, a little Samo. So, Samo Samoyed coin is the Solana native uh, meme dog coin uh, that is made with uh, with the explicit pr- approval of Sam Bankman-Fried uh, and uh, a couple of the, uh, one of the big Solana developers and another dude who I forget his name. Uh, please forgive me. Uh, but anyway, it's got a really small market cap. So uh, considering they can they can they can pump to multi-billion-dollar valuations, considering Solana has been so successful uh, in recent years. Seemed like a fair fair idea. I got in at half a cent, and at the, right now it's at one and a half cent. So uh, that was only a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild market. I remember when I first bought Shiba Inu, and no one knew about it. 
I oh, had yeah. 24.5 billion Shiba Inu tokens. You, you left millions on the table, mate. I left about, I think it's about 800 grand on the table. <laughs> Dollars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but anyway, I, I, for everyone, I sold out of it because it was stupid. But it clearly, is. Cle- clearly, clearly wasn't stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, uh, you- comes, trust me, comes in crypto, it comes and goes. It does. Um, but yeah, so yeah, yeah, the dog coins are pumping in, which is a bit of a concern. But um, I think Bitcoin's doing what I always expected it would, is that when inflation really starts to kick in, like properly, and I don't even think inflation's properly started to kick in yet, that's when we'll see Bitcoin really get legs. Um, actually, a question I had for you around all of this is how far away or how close depending on your outlook on things uh do you think it will be before we start to see the central banks raising rates again a la new zealand that's that's a it's a very good question uh, it's not just new zealand has done it but yeah i mean it, mostly i mean and the the rate rises we've seen are really quite small so um, far, yeah. on at a nominal level though of course one wonders you know new zealand is you know there's plenty of debt in new zealand so i'm sure uh, that small rate rise is going to pinch at some point. Uh, I think it's a good question. I think, though, Sam, that they're not going to raise rates, or at least the Federal Reserve won't raise the rates, which is the most important one. I think maybe Bank of England might do that, uh, or or New Zealand. But ultimately, I think if, if the Fed doesn't raise rates, that's, and while inflation keeps going up and up, uh, they really want to run it hot, uh, that's... I think they're not going to be able to prevent a lot of that inflation just carrying on uh, being being exposed to the rest of the world. And I don't think they are going to raise rates because they they really do want they do they really do want inflation. Um, you're you're already getting uh, you know all these articles from econ PhDs in Ivory Tower Journal saying you know inflation's here and that's a great thing. You know we've been waiting for this bastard to show up for so many years. He finally is, and you want to kick him out the door now? What's wrong with you? This is great. People's savings are being destroyed. I mean, who could possibly complain about such a situation? Certainly not homeowners. Question such clever people. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I mean, uh, inflation, if you, yeah, you can inflate your debt away. <laughs> mm, happy days. Yeah, if you're on a, if you've got a mortgage, happy days. Um, you know, in the, in the 70s, of course, it was a terrible time to be a, uh, be it to be an old fella and to be a saver but if you're a young person it's kind of going to work on the millennial side everyone wants to you know moan about student debt and whatever and you know provided they can they can get on the property market then inflation is your best mate uh i have all these interesting stories got sent in because obviously that wasn't around during the 70s um but you yeah know, you phones, don't even know what fraggle rock is yeah exactly i mean i i, I people say groovy and i'm like what the hell are you talking about man um but you know, get these interesting stories from folks who are who are you know in their in their later years now talking about how back in the seventies, like everyone they knew, if you had if you had one house, then you could you could find a way of uh, effectively becoming a property speculator in your free time. So people would have multiple houses and they'd be flipping them all the time, and the hmm. banks keep lending them money, and they just keep doing it. Uh, and you'd need that to kind of supplement your income because if you were uh, you know sometimes your your wages wouldn't be increasing as fast as as you would like in line with inflation. Uh, so people would be kind of turning to this as a as a thing to do, uh, just to just to make ends meet, which I find quite interesting. So there's a weird kind of parallel to that, and this is what's been fascinating me so much about these play to earn games in the crypto space. Oh yeah, is that a lot of them 
not a lot. Well, not all, not all of them, but a lot of them have got uh, land-based uh, aspects, I guess, to the game. Yeah, yeah, can, like sandbox. Yeah, yeah, where you can own land and the you own the virtual land, and you can, and then some you can put you can put it to use, and you can you can generate yield, uh, yeah. yield from it. Um, like with some, you can you know if you you can stake NFTs or you can stake in-game assets and you can earn yield off the back of those. Some of them are actually, you know, the, the, to supplement income, some of them are actually not a bad idea, I, I don't think. Um, I, I, would, I would caution that it all depends on uh, how interested the game developer is in uh, making sure that you've got that environment where you can earn yield on it yeah. and how, yeah. how interested they are in their own profits. So, you know, there have been times where effectively deflation hit World of Warcraft. So I think the, the, the best comparison we have for what could happen in these worlds, especially if they're like RPGs or, or if they're worlds which are multi, massively multiplayer, because ultimately you want other people using it. And that's, it'll be other people using your land, that, it, that real people using your land that's going to generate your yield. So other players go in your land and using it for whatever reason. And uh, there have been times with World of Warcraft, of course, it wasn't, you know, they didn't have a decentralized cryptocurrency or anything like that. Yeah. They didn't have WoW Gold, though, which was very easily transferable. But there were times when uh, when WoW Gold, effectively, a bit of deflation hit the World of Warcraft economy. And it wasn't spoken about in that way. It was just, this is slowing the game down. And people are not, uh, we're afraid that deflation is going to decrease people's interest in playing the game because it's made, it's slowing down progression and that's bad. So there have been times where they didn't call it that, but there was a de facto currency devaluation of wild gold where yeah. items, and it wasn't done in the, in the, you know, the, the exchange rate of the gold, though that may have happened as well. But the um, but the the items and how easily it was to acquire items at auction became much easier than it was. And previously established norms with bringing new items to market were changed. They just changed the rules overnight to ensure that that happened. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure that and I, I was told by a friend of mine who used to play WoW, WoW a lot when he was younger, and he told me about this happening. I was like, "Wow, man! Like they just they just devalued the currency in order to to inflate the world." Yeah. And, uh, and well, like, yeah. I think isn't there? I, I haven't followed this up, and I need to do. I, I was going to do it this week. I haven't done it yet. But wasn't wasn't one of the reasons why Vitalik um, built Ethereum was because he basically got rugged in World of Warcraft, where they just yeah. took all his assets. I don't think it was, so, well, I could be incorrect. Uh, I didn't think it was about them rugging him and taking his assets. I thought it was about him wanting to script. Uh, he wanted to automate much of his World of Warcraft experience where uh, you could you could run your, you know, you could make your own third party program that automated a lot of your activities in World of Warcraft and they yeah. stopped that from happening. So he turned to coding instead, to, to coding other things and that kind of led it. But it could be wrong. I could be wrong. I wouldn't be at all surprised. And it's yeah. very ironic. Uh, can be, I mean, it's well, it's not ironic. It's actually, uh, it's, it's actually quite fitting if that was the way it turned out. Yeah, um, I mean, well, this is that's one of the things, right, about these games, and and so we we, we you know, it's 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 super crazy um, early with some of the development of these. Is and the, the discussion is really around the idea of centralization, i.e., more light world of Warcraft, or decentralization, i.e., more you know pure DAO type run by the community, governed by the community. And the the constant trade-offs are that um, something like uh, that would be, you know, centralized, very, very much developer-driven for the decisions and how it grows and, and all that, very much more of a closed ecosystem 
is is at the moment typically quite a good user experience, enjoyable to play. It's at a level in terms of functionality and aesthetics that people are used to with their games. Uh, the decentralized ones obviously take away a lot of those risks that come with centralization, but it's the user experience because of the decentralization that is so lagging and difficult. And it's kind of like you're either in the, no, I'm going to go down the full decentralization route and just suffer through the UX for a while, or I just want to play a really cool game and just earn, but with the risk that at any given moment, the developers could, like you say, devalue the currency uh, on a whim. So it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many, there's so many new things coming out. I know there's money, big money being put into games from everywhere from like Coinbase Ventures through to um, Galaxy Digital and a whole bunch of other um, effectively crypto ecosystem VCs and, and so forth. Uh, that uh, from, from both angles and, you know, something like the Sandbox, for instance, is very much down that whole pure decentralization route that's you know the ultimate for them is to be as decentralized as 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 possible and everything that gets done within that is is either governed by a DAO or or by the community whereas then something uh you know like the axie infinity uh phenomenon uh is is completely the opposite and maybe may have the, the sort of longer term goal to be decentralized but right now is basically like world of warcraft yeah, it's like uh, well, this this the question of user experience um, and functionality versus decentralization. I mean, you could say that like the Ethereum Binance token argument. Uh, this yeah. is kind of the thing going on. So Ethereum had ridiculous, still does have ridiculous uh, gas fees. If you want to just send any money anywhere, yes, and Binance were just like, okay, well, uh, we'll just cut a few corners uh, and it'll be less decentralized, but you'll be able to do all the crazy stuff that you wanted to do and that you had to pay a fortune to do in you know the Binance smart chain network. Um, and you know, for a while, it certainly worked for Binance. It's given them that lead ahead. Now, I think Solana is kind of, or the better version of that, the more successful version of that, or maybe it will become that. Uh, because but like Solana right now, at least, is not very decentralized. No. Uh, but it does allow very, very, very fast transactions. Um, you know, mm-hmm. aside from when, you know, the whole thing went down for a few hours a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll people want to build on that rather than wanting to build on something really slow. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is. It's always, you know, this whole speed and, and, and transaction cost and, decentralized nature it's you know it's like user experience versus ideals well it's kind of like what you were saying before about sandbox tokens right when you wanted to sell them it was like it wasn't it wasn't sort of just like a point and click sort of exercise it was a real faff um and this is maybe where some of the stuff around into blockchain cross chain swaps and stuff like that's gonna really start to unlock maybe some of that where you, you can, you know, just swap out to any other network you see fit. You know, you could swap your Binance BNB tokens onto Solana and vice versa or whatever, just without having to, you know, go through a bridging DAP and a whole bunch of other crap to do it. So maybe, you know, that maybe that's sort of the next, some of the next steps as to how it, how it actually ends up evolving. But I just found it interesting is that what I, what I really find interesting is about this whole world and what it's, what it's, I've been so fascinated with the gaming side of things at the moment is just, you know, alternative ways 
to, that people can think about. It obviously comes with, you know, its risks and it's not just a, you know, sort of blindly shoot and hope for the best sort of system, but you can supplement your income. You can create new income through some of these things. Like um, I had a conversation with, um, with Harry Hamburg today about, so Bob Bernquist, which who's a, like a legendary um, skateboarder, uh, uh, you know, was on the original Tony Hawk um, uh, PlayStation game, you know, one of the real all-time greats, minted a bunch of NFTs uh, on the Tezos blockchain. Um, so Tony Hawk has minted a bunch of NF NFTs, you know, signed NFTs and stuff like that. But he's done it within uh, this platform called Autograph. It's only available in the US. It's very much a closed shop kind of thing. Whereas Burnquist's sort of really gone down the other side and, you know, anyone that, you know, has a wallet or, you know, can interact with the Tezos blockchain. So anywhere uh, can, can get Bob's NFTs. And anyway, Harry was saying, I was saying, talking about with this with Harry and we're talking about the nineties and skateboarding and, uh, you know, some, some pretty cool stuff. Cause I was really into it in the nineties. And then he was like, imagine telling your teenage self um, that, you know, in, what is it? 20 something years time, Bob Burnquist would be liking one of your tweets and you'd be buying an NFT signed by him on the Tezos blockchain. And it's like, as a, as a teenager, you know, you can't, there's no way I could have, you could fathom what, what I was, you know, talking with him about today. Mm. And it's kind of like, even today, right. To think in, in 20 years time, like it, like right now I'm talking about, you know, passive income and supplementing income um, by participating in, in, in some crypto blockchain based play to earn games. I mean, some of this stuff that we, that, that has that never existed five years ago, <laughs> all of a sudden is, has real world application of potential. It's just kind of cool to even think that these are legitimate things that most people um most people in the world have no fucking idea about right now. And I wonder if it is a case where it will be much more of a common thing in 20 years time or whether it, it's just one of those niche things that you, unless you know, you know, sort of. Yeah. 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 I think, I think some of the very early internet guys in like the early nineties and maybe late eighties. I mean, cause I, I wasn't around then. Um, I think this does, go in line with some of their original theories on what the internet was going to do to society. I mean, the original mm. cyberpunks, uh, you know, the guys signing the internet's declaration of independence, cyberspace's declaration of independence from the real world. Yeah. I think yeah. what's going on here does tie in well with that. I think maybe part of their vision there is being realized. Though, at the same time, I also do wonder just how much lockdown accelerated this just because yeah. video gaming just blew up during lockdown so much more now it was already huge obviously but, yeah um and it wasn't even recognized for how huge it was before lockdowns but now uh you know just there were so many kids that had nothing to do uh that you know the gaming just blew up and the, and the revenues of all those companies blew up too i do wonder how much further into the future we've gone as a result of these lockdowns and whether or not it'll be like, you know, these ideas might burn off for a while and then they'll mm. come back in 10 years time or whether or not we're now just permanently in this, this accelerated future and we're going to see more and more and more of it. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. I, uh, 
I don't think we'll have long to wait. <laughs> I, so I, I get this. So I get, I get the feeling that sort of people, you know, how there was like this, there was this whole thing around the gig economy and, you know, oh yeah, yeah, you know, micro working and the gig economy was going to save everyone and everyone would have, you know, a thousand jobs and you know be making a fortune with a thousand jobs or working remotely. I feel like that may be, I mean, I think, I still think that will be a thing was that micro working, so to speak, becomes a bit more common. Um, but I get the feeling that that's not really the, that wasn't really the thing that that wasn't the economic benefit or that the, the, the internet unlocked that it's more around like what you said, sort of this iteration of it, whether it be gaming or DeFi. Uh, that's possibly the bigger story about unlocking the real economic potential of what the internet could deliver. Mm. Yeah. You know, Sam, I, I did, uh, I was in London, uh, I wasn't maybe a week ago, I think. I think I was on a week ago. Yeah, I think it was in London a week ago. And I, I went into the, uh, just pure coincidence, uh, I, I stumbled across an NFT art gallery. Ah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, um, it was near near Bond Street, a very fancy area. There was like a Bugatti dealership around the corner and a Bentley dealership. And uh, so, you know, snazzy area of town. Uh, I went to a pub nearby and got a Diet Coke there for, I think, £3.50. <laughs> very, very, uh, very kind of upmarket. I was just wandering around. And, you know, lo and behold, they've got a CryptoPunk actual gallery there. And they had the sealed CryptoPunks. Uh, you know, the ones where the private key is actually kept in a wax sealed envelope. Uh, and it's got a special QR code with a punk in the middle and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, it was a big coincidence. And the, the the actual exhibition for the NFTs was closing, I think, the next day. So it was a good good coincidence. I was there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those those punks were going for like 800 grand. And they were, they'd been minted in 2017 for, yeah, what, cents pretty much. Uh, very, uh, very weird to be there. Um, Though you did point out to me, I sent you an image and you did of, of what the gallery looked like, and they only had one TV screen there. All of the other images of the of the they wasn't just punks. They had the um, what was it? Those special glyphs, the weird uh, like graph glyphs. I can't remember. Um, uh, the uh, autoglyphs. That's it. Autoglyphs. Autoglyphs. They had some of those, but they weren't get, they weren't screens. They were actually printouts of what mm. the NFT looked like, which wasn't quite in keeping with uh, the original idea. Um, but then I see, you know, so I was on Twitter the other day and uh, I believe it was somewhere in the UAE, uh, you know, so some jeweler is making, uh, you know, necklaces which are gold with diamond, diamond encrusted uh, sides which have a screen which then display the NFT. And this is what people are gonna be wearing around their necks supposedly to show off their blend it's just like yeah I, like that that's just not catching on that is not going to catch on in the future no it's some i love i i do love you know some industries absolutely get it right when they predict the what's coming in the future the auto industry because they kind of make the future that they predict in that sense but the fashion industry is always so far off from actually what the fashion will be like in the future yeah. It's like it's like the worst for actually predicting what's coming. Yeah, contrarian indicator, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, the day of the punks is over. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, Sam, how would you rate your second beer? Um, very good. I mean, Belgian Pilsner does what it says on the tin. It doesn't really 
uh, doesn't deliver the knockout kind of holy shit. This is some sort of taste profile that I've never had before. Or is going to rock my socks. It's just kind of a good, easy drinking beer. Uh, that's not crazy heavy. Um, I, I didn't find it as enjoyable as the five points best. So therefore it must come in at a lower rating, um, but it wasn't horrible. I think I'll just give it a B minus. All righty. All righty. P is for pterodactyl. This is an interesting one. It does taste nice, but it is quite thick. And yeah, it does. Like, I feel like I've not finished it yet, but I, I do feel quite full now having had that. 6.9%. It doesn't taste that strong. So it does have that as favor. I think I would give this a, I think I'll give this an, I think I'll give this a B minus, a B minus, because it's not too bad. Two ratings that uh, are the, the same from us both this week. Mm. <laughs> two B pluses right. and two B minuses. All right, we're in sync this time, huh? Yeah. yeah our, our our taste profiles have have merged and melded together again. Yeah, we do need to get back. Yeah, we do need to get to try and organize a thing where we where we drink the same beers and we broadcast them ahead of time. So yeah. long. It's, it takes quite a bit of planning and preparation, which are two things that when it comes to this podcast, neither of us are great at. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. And also, yeah, the short, because these are generally not very uh, freely available beers, they often yeah. sell out, uh, even when we're both trying to get the same thing, let alone tell everyone else about it. But, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll figure something out in the future. Um, Sam, any closing remarks for today? I do apologize to anyone listening. We have, uh, this is a Monday, so we're not, we're not at peak we're not at peak uh, peak performance yet. It's generally yeah. best at the Friday where uh, we've not spent the weekend drinking and and whatever that uh, we are at uh, our best cognitive. I was, I was, I, I'm not even sure I've, I've I've sworn on this podcast, which I mean says a lot. Quite unusual. Quite unusual. Yeah. Um, closing remarks. I would say, yeah, if you're listening today, listen in on Friday. Compare the two. Um, and, and let us know if you prefer our Monday or Friday sessions. I think it'll be quite obvious yeah i think so too i think so too but that is all for this week folks i hope you enjoyed episode 61 we shall be back later this week with episode 62 oh yeah do tune in then we shall be slightly more spry and hopefully <laughs> more, uh, more interesting by then that's all for now we'll see you in the next one